So next up after Ed Patterson is Jared Adams who gets the captaincy straight from the off. Mm. Never played for the Devils before. Um, I assume it was a team vote that bestowed him with this, but that, I think that tells you all you need to know about Jared Adams, isn't it? That he can make that impression as a leader within minutes of walking through the door. See, I'm, I'm not so sure it was a team vote. Um, Ed had played with G in London, mm-hmm. and I think Ed, uh, in his first year as full coach, wanted some on-ice leadership in, in the way that maybe Ed would have given that on-ice leadership, and I think he handpicked G to be his captain. Okay. Um, so I was, I was quite surprised when, you know, when G came down, um, but, you know, it was obvious that him and Ed, you know, had a lot of respect for each other. Um, and I think, yeah, I think it was that Ed wanted somebody to steer the ship on the ice, you know, the same way that he was going to steer the ship off the ice. And, you know, they're quite, quite similar in the terms of the way they went about that, you know, G wasn't afraid to mix his words, that, you know, he could be quite stern, um, you know, definitely... Yeah, at that stage, I think G did change a lot as the as the years went by. Um, but at that stage, you know, G was no, you know, renowned for being grumpy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, did you soften him up? Was that what it was? Did you bring that? No, definitely. You were the good <laughs> I think that was Nina. <laughs> Nina and Fionda. Yeah. yeah. But uh, you know, no, he was you know very sort of to the point. Um, but you know, nonetheless. Uh, you know, a good leader, you know, and he, one of these lead by examples that, you know, he played a kind of hard-nosed game, didn't he? That he, yeah. you know, he uh, he played above his size mm-hmm. for definite. Um, and I think people like that as a captain. I think the boys like that as well. You know, you know, you know he's got that, your back. And, you know, he definitely had respect. Definitely, you know, from day one. You know, even if he was Ed's chosen appointment, um, I don't think anybody would have argued against G being captain. You know me, I, I like kind of, and I'm not saying G was an anti-hero, but mention band, we talk about Finity coming on to later. I liked G. He was my, before he became coach, he was actually my, my favourite player because I thought he was one of those guys who would go a brick, through a brick wall to, to, to win a hockey game. He had that nasty streak, but he was also a very, very good hockey player. Um, sometimes maybe that gets forgotten because, you know, forgive me G if you're listening, didn't always look the most athletic. He was a stubby guy like this. But, you know, he's a stubby guy. Stubby guy with no hair. Um, but never lost a puck battle in the corner. Was actually, you know, good on the puck. Made good puck. Could play as a forward. It wasn't just that he could play as an effective forward. You know, the Challenge Cup game. Um, he scores that goal when he's in front of the net and, 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 and tips it in. It's almost in a way, it's not a shame because he, he kept the Devils together along with Franny during very very difficult times but it was almost a shame he had to make that switch to to coach because I think as a captain if he'd have been uh, captain for longer and and you know he could have been in that iconic group with a with a Machulik because he was someone I always thought the the I don't know that just that that will to win um, you wouldn't argue with him you'd want to follow him you'd want to go to war with him he was a good hockey player who could also combine that with being a, a real tough guy both physically and, and I think mentally as well so um, prior to becoming coach 
Jared Adams as a captain, I was looking, I looked at it and I thought, yeah, he's the model captain. I also kind of prefer, I don't know whether this is a football thing, I almost prefer it sometimes when defensemen are captain. Maybe they see more of the, the game, I'm not sure. So I, you know, him being a, a defenseman as well, um, I, I liked that side of things. But uh, yeah, you know, I mentioned that Rample story, I don't know how much is true or if, if you knew about it, Franny, but it, it got written up that, that Adams, you know, kind of calmed him down and, and, and what have you. It seemed like G was always kind of a, while he might be grumpy, he was always sort of a level-headed character as well. Yeah, I mean, it was, G at the rink was quite grumpy and maybe that's just his game face, you know, but away from the ice, I, you know, I developed a good relationship with it as a friend and, you know, that sort of, sort of carried on through the, the coaching years. Um, but, uh, you know, I think he'd just come from the spell in Sheffield where they'd been very successful, hadn't they? Was, that, was he there for the Grand Slam? Yeah, yeah, it was him and Darling, wasn't it? Who yeah. Were kind of, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think the, the season immediately before coming to Cardiff was quite turbulent. Yeah, so Blaise they had left. Yeah, and, and, and Blaisdale, I mean, G was a favourite of Blaisdale's yes. and I think they had similar traits as yes. well. And then, you know, you mentioned Dion Darling. And G ends up bringing Dion Darling. Yeah. I think they had similar traits yeah. as well. You know, similar again to Ed Patterson, mm-hmm. who brought G here in the first place. So you could see what these people are doing, that they're moving on to a coaching role, yeah. and then they're trying to replace what they do on the yeah. ice. They with, want their lieutenant. Who, exactly. Yeah. They want they want a like-minded person mm-hmm. on the ice to do the. You know, because you can't do everything from the bench, and it's one of the big frustrations about being on the bench that maybe people don't appreciate is you can't directly influence the game. Yes, you can. You know, change systems. You can change lines. You can change matchups. Mm. You can do those things, but you can't actually, you know, go out and have a direct, direct impact on the game. Um, so, as a coach, you want somebody that you know is going to do those those things that maybe you would do if uh, if you were out there. Yeah. So, so just on that that classy moment when he was captain, and we didn't win many trophies then. And I know this is something that's, that I think probably speaks to. To his character, that classy moment when we won the Challenge Cup, and he didn't lift it. He, yeah. he gave it to Mark Richardson, yeah. and, and um, subtle, but but I think you know, huge, huge uh, kind of action there from Jared Adams. For anyone who is not aware, Mark had lost his father the week prior to that yeah. Challenge Cup final. And we we all thought that Richie wasn't going to play yeah. because you know that's our you know devastating moment, um, you know, very sudden, and uh, Richie had been away from the rink all week, obviously. Um, and then turns up and says, no, I'm playing, I'm playing, and, you know, played a great game, mm-hmm. you know, especially considering the circumstances, yeah. and then, yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up, you know, one of the classiest moments that I've experienced yes. in hockey, um, it's, yeah, a ch- you don't get many chances to lift trophies no. A, a, no. As, uh, as a player, only the captain really lifts them, and, um, you know, you never know when the next one's coming again, I don't think there was one no. for Vajib, but he gave that up, you know, for... You know, for the greater good, and you know, for for young Mark Richardson, I'm sure, um, you know, that's something that you know he remembers to this day. Yeah, G scored the goal as well in between Rempel's hat trick. He he did. It was a lovely <laughs> tip in. It was really, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, you always think of the Rempel hat trick, but without G's goal, uh, it was that game doesn't go to penalty shots. It doesn't. doesn't doesn't get one. It was a good night, if I can remember. Yeah, it was. Good. <laughs> G is so, so what happens then to G after being the captain of the Cardiff so Devils? What happens then? There's <laughs> a pattern here. Yeah. yeah. So the WNIR is no more. The Big Blue Tent era is ushered in. Adams is captain up until about the second game in the tent. 
Yeah. When Ed Patterson is relieved of his coaching duties and G is installed. You two have probably got more inside information because you occasionally talk to Bob because you've ran your way travel. I've you... got so many stories about that. <laughs> yeah. As I understood it from media, sort of Patterson was called to a meeting and say, either if you keep your job, we have to lose. I think it was Dave Ionazzo was the player you mentioned and a couple of others, or you can go and we can keep these players. Was, was... I can tell you the official line I was told by the office at the time was that the were bonuses written into a contract that the players around Christmas time asked for okay. and there was a case of the only way to pay them would to be okay. run with a coach and the coach that had allegedly, mm-hmm. I must stress that word, yeah. allegedly promised the bonuses was maybe okay. not flavour of the month for offering <laughs> those bonuses um, and so yes, that then it came down to a case of there was a chance that if the players who were promised things yeah. didn't get them, they may leave. Mm-hmm. And there was the offshoot of, yeah. why did you offer these bonuses? <laughs> and this was an occasion where, you know, the some some people within the team were canvassed on their opinion on whether the, uh, Ed should stay oh, or really? go. Wow. And I know that because I was asked directly by Bob. Okay. Was, was he a popular coach or, you know, without revealing too much, what was, well, what was he, kind of... he was one of my favourite coaches to play yeah. for because, um, you know, I was, I always uh, worked, came in on a Friday, trained on a Friday and then played the weekends and, you know, that goes down, mm-hmm. in, you know, mixed with, with some coaches, you know, you're not there the whole week. Um, Ed was, uh, I think the previous year before, I hadn't been played, when it was Dave Whistle was coach. I hadn't been playing that much, and it was Ed that actually said to Dave Whistle, "Give him some shifts. Watch what he can do. You know, he's going to go out there. He's going to work hard. Mm-hmm. He's going to hit. He's going to. You got to play him some more." Because I, I literally sat on the bench yeah. for a number of games, and it was Ed actually that stepped up for me. Um, that you know, encouraged. And then I got some decent nice time then. And you know, when I went out there, I kind of did what I did, and um, and and you know, got some ice time. So I always appreciated that from Ed, and you know, that that was a captain yeah. uh, at the time. And then when Ed was coach, he really appreciated the way I played the game in terms of being a heart and soul guy. He always wrote nice things about me in the program. Um, you know, he knew that I'd go for through a brick wall, mm-hmm. and, you know, those kind of things. Um, so I love playing for Ed. So when I was asked by Bob, right, I'm thinking of making a coaching change. What do you, and I said, no, I think you should keep him. Mm-hmm. You know, he's uh, he he's one of the best coaches that I've played for. You know, again, he was somebody that brought more of a structure to the game you know he had the systems that he had you know he he had packs for the guys in terms of you know learn these systems because then we can implement them at the rink um but more importantly than that he had belief in me and yeah. that's something that i didn't always experience in in some other coaches so yeah i was one of the ones that you know i didn't i didn't have any idea that g was going to be mm-hmm. the one asked to to pick up the reins but um, i was very much in favor of keeping ed and uh you know was disappointed when he went Go, he did. He did. And uh, tell you one thing is, it escapes me who had to see. Did Voth get it immediately? I think I think he did. Yeah, because there was that echo. There was again. I just remembered the echo articles, and I think he had it for that. It was a game against Coventry on Saturday after, and it was very weird because Ed walked in late, didn't he? Didn't go around and he got a round of applause, and and we should just 
say, um, and at the time of recording, um, someone who left the Devils at that stage and sat with Ed that night and tragically passed away yep. um, is, is Heather. Heather Pruitt, so... Um, yeah, because she, she stuck with Ed, didn't she? Stuck she stuck with Ed. Yeah, she, yeah. she stayed loyal to Ed, even, you know, though that she put in 20-odd years or yeah. whatever it was, uh, of absolutely amazing service. Yeah. And, you know, you, you saw the uh, uh, the messages from all around the world, from, from players, anyone that had been part of the club, yeah, when, you know, when the news of her passing came out and, you know, how respected she yeah. was. And, you know, fair play to, to Heather... You know, she didn't agree with what had happened to Ed, and you know, and and walked away from something that she was very yeah. passionate about. So, uh, yeah, yeah. But that, that was a strange night against Coventry because, uh, you know, the team were in a bad place. G had kind of had this given to him. It, it, the fan base was very uh, anti-Bob pro Ed. Um, again, I'm you know, I'm not sure. Bob put a lot of money into the club and did things right, did things wrong. Um, but that that fan base was very pro air, so that was a that was a very strange night. If I remember correctly, G scored. Yeah, that victory. Did. Yeah, and he hadn't been playing great. No, I no, remember no, up yeah. until becoming Absolutely. coach, and then becoming coach seemed to ignite it galvanized him. Uh, and it galvanized the team. Yeah, it did, and I think that the way he became coach kind of defined his his entire run. In that, no matter what was going on yes. around Jared Adams. He always seemed to have a, a hold on the on the guys in the dressing room, and it never seemed to leak in to the performances or the commitment or or anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that is probably my, my favorite trait of Jared mm-hmm. coaches. You could always, you know, obviously you got a big partner as well, Franny. Yeah. Well, you could always guarantee on your teams to show up and give that commitment on yeah. the ice. Sort of one one thing, I mean, we're going to coaches now, but one thing G didn't do was over coach. Uh, he trusted guys, and when you get trust from somebody, I think it, you know, especially when you when you got him doing it himself, mm. um, you know, his the the hallmark of his teams were that we would always punch above our weight and do whatever it can, and you know that, uh, yeah, I think that came from G. And yeah, as we mentioned, Voth was the uh, mm. the heir apparent to uh, to G in terms of the captains. I know that they were very close as, as teammates. Um, the year before, G, G and Voth, uh, I believe, and uh, Voth by this point was becoming that folk hero. He was larger than life and the talisman. Yeah, because he'd come in as a, a as an unknown. Obviously, yes. he's a big guy. Uh, he was young, an awkward-looking skater, <laughs> yet to fill into his frame. Um, but as that season went on, you know, then he had you know quite a few scraps that mm-hmm. year. Did well, and he started becoming somebody that people were speaking about you know not just devils fans but people yeah. knew around town of brad voth and um you know i think g then has gone when he is uh has gone into the coach and he's needed a new captain um you know i'm going to give it to the guy that you know probably intimidates the other teams more yeah. than anyone else and i'm going to give him this leadership role and give him that that added responsibility i think I think with Brad Voth and, and I try and be as honest in these podcasts as I can and I, I've had this conversation with, 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 with Franny before and again we're not, we're not and, I've t- and I've told him he's wrong <laughs> and, and I am wrong um, we can't talk about it or we won't choose not to talk about it but when G left the way he left was, was wrong did I necessarily think maybe he'd come to an end of his yeah I probably did whether I'm right or wrong with that when Brad Voth's shirt was retired I had some 
hesitations about it because we, we we didn't win anything and what have you. But I look back at it now and and what I would say I think probably without Jared Adams, without Neil Francis, and without Brad Voth, I wonder whether there would still be a club here. And I don't think I appreciated that at the time. And I think having the benefit of hindsight now, particularly the other side of the the new era and enjoying the success again, you kind of forget how bad those times were, and you kind of forget. We were playing a dump. Whether you, I hated the big blue tent. I know people. I love it. I know you did. I know you did. I and people wax lyrical about it. I always felt that. I always felt it gave us an excuse. No, and I know that didn't come across because G and and Franny are winners. But I always thought that we we weren't taken seriously as a as a threat to trophies. And obviously, it affected our budget and it affected the fans. Use it as a crutch. The the fans use it as a little bit of a. a, a I I take myself in that as well. I I think I did. I thought, you yeah. know, this this gives us a ceiling Absolutely. for what we can do financially. Absolutely. Yeah. And, I, and I always wanted to go above that. So I think maybe I was a little too hard on our existence at that time <laughs> and what I expected of, of G and Franny and Brad Vaughan. And that's just me being unrealistic and overly demanding. I think now it's it's fair to say if it weren't for people like Jared Adams, Neil Francis and Brad Voth, probably this club still wouldn't be in existence. And again, I'm... I'm admitting to a lot of my mistakes on this program tonight I think <laughs> I think that some of the judgments I held at the time were a mistake and this has been therapy with Neil Francis yeah instead of captains yeah. we're, we're all friends here yeah. <laughs> uh, what, I, what I will say about Brad Vaugh, um is I mean I, I'm probably more party to the budgets that yeah. were you know part of these teams were in the Brad Vaugh era and I know how much we were punching above our weight yeah. in terms of you know budget-wise compared to, to other teams. And I think Brad Voth gave us a chance to win every night. Okay, yeah. There was teams were coming coming into the ring, especially the big blue tent because it's so small and you got that much less time mm-hmm. on the puck and you know those huge hits he put in. There was teams that were coming and beaten. And you know you look at our home record when we we're in the big blue tent. And everybody, you know, around the league were calling for this unfair advantage that we had because of the big blue tent. Well, that was largely down to Brad Vaughan. That's the Paul Sample story you told before, didn't it? Well, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, one year, like I said, you know, we'll go on to Brad Voth being relieved of the captaincy. But, you know, we may not have brought Brad Voth back. And Sam's was saying, are you kidding me? Because everyone in the dressing room is talking before the game. Keep your head up. Watch out for Voth. He'll kill you. And then he'll eat your remains and <laughs> uh, you know all these things are going around the uh, the dressing room before a game and if that's happening in the dressing room before a game you're probably two goals up before you even uh, drop the puck so um, that's a Brad Voth was a massive reason behind us having such a good home record yes. um, such a good record um, such a good re- reason why we punched above our weight you know budget wise we are well below mid table and we're finishing in the top half. But he sold tickets, and I know this is more right, important yeah. to the, the, the business rather than you as coaches, but why I look back now and think I, I was too hard on, on, on Brad, because I, you know, I, I do, I like the silky players and I think of Maury and what have you. Brad was a good player, don't get me wrong, but he sold tickets, and he sold tickets at a time. Why, why would you come to that venue? Why, why would you come on a Saturday night and choose to come to a, a, a rink where you know, you're probably going to get as wet inside as you were outside and that sort of thing? But people would turn up, and, and one of the, the main reasons for that is, was Brad Voth. So I don't know what he was like as a captain for the players, but probably a captain or a leader for the club. 
right person, right time. I was in university at the time and I took a few uh, guys on my course down and they were first timers and at the end of the game, one of them turned to me and he said, I had no idea where the puck was, I had no idea what the rules were, but I noticed that guy with the long hair each and every time he was on the ice. Yeah. Yeah. Probably as good a figurehead for a yeah, yeah. The face of the franchise. The face of the franchise. You know, he was massive, he had you know the long flowing blonde hair, he would play up to it, never sure no. anything. And you know, if there's one thing that fans in the modern era, in the in the new era that we got now, are crying out for is us to react to incidents mm-hmm. more. Now, you know, there's a very, very good argument against that because you know, you look at the suspensions that Brad yeah. got and you know, sometimes keeping your discipline and you know, winning it on the scoreboard is much sweeter, you know, uh, uh, revenge after. But you know, there is always that sports fan element that wants instant revenge and Brad Voth gave you that, didn't yeah. he? That nobody got away with any incident no. with Brad Voth <laughs> on the team. It no. would you know, he it would be the next shift, the next period, no matter what, you knew it was coming. Yeah. But and he'd also score you twenty plus goals. Yeah. He wasn't a knuckle yeah. dragger. He was a very That's good player. player. I think that going on back on the Frank's point about not letting anyone get away with anything it was uh, the first time he played against Ashley Tate after he had made that hit on <laughs> in Boxing Day, yeah. and uh, I was uh, I was stood at the plexi, and as Voth skated away to go for a line change, uh, Tate slashed him across the uh, skates when the referees yeah. were going up ice, and I thought, okay, yeah, fair enough, you're going to get that. Voth, quick as a flash, turned around, slashed him straight back. <laughs> <laughs> there was no receipt that was to be given. You, you slash me, you're going to get one back. There's no, you know, sorry, mate, right, fair call, right, yeah. we're, we're even. No, no. You take one back and yeah. <laughs> take the weight through it as well. You could have easily <laughs> taken it back. Again, poor Ashley Tate. But um, yeah, I think that uh, sums it up well. Let's get into it. Franny, why did you take the captaincy off of Brad and how did you take it and how did that all kind of shake out and unfold? Um, it was one of the hardest things that G and I had to do during that mm. that coaching, those coaching years. Um, it got to a stage where, you know, I talked before about when, you know, we had a very difficult relationship with referees. A lot seemed to be going against us. I think there was a lot of frustrations. I don't know whether it was built up from, you know, the Bob Phillips era and then you know, there's spillovers from that, and you know, there was probably some. You know, there's all things about like the hometown refs, mm-hmm. and maybe they were being overly harsh on us, and us getting frustrated. And there was lots and lots. There was a big sort of recipe of a disaster there. And you know, JD, you mentioned it earlier in the podcast um, to say that uh, how is it when you've got somebody that takes so many penalties being your captain, and you know, then going to speak to the referees mm-hmm. about things and. It got to the stage where he was a marked man. Yeah, he was. That he, you know, he could do things. He could make a hit. He was getting a penalty. He could, you know, you know that, I always remember that ridiculous suspension he got. Was it on Saric where he, yeah. he basically tapped him on the back of the legs to tell it because something had happened, I think, the game before yeah. up in Sheffield and, uh, he, you know, Bottle wanted to go with him. So he tapped him on the back of the le- legs to spin him round. Then he kind of dropped his gloves and he fought. And Vothra ends up getting six games for a slash, six games for fighting, yeah, uh, you know, twelve game suspension, which even in this day and age is probably one game at yeah. maximum. It was ridiculous. And so it was nullifying his game, wasn't it? Because yeah. I always think the Brad Voth era of 
thought he was great the first three or four years and then maybe tailed off a little bit. But you said in a previous podcast, that's probably because he he couldn't play his natural game because he was just a, a little bit of a marked man. Well, he didn't know what to do because if he played the game that he wanted to play, which is, you know, leading the charge and making these hits, he was going to put us on a five-minute penalty kill more often than not. Yeah. And he was getting thrown out and the suspensions were getting longer and longer and longer. So G and I sat down and were like, this is getting out of control now. You know, Vatha's head is all over the place because he doesn't know whether he should hit, shouldn't hit. You know, we're missing him for large parts of the season. The referees have got it in for him. And, you know, we said maybe the best thing to do for his sake and not, not for the team's sake, for his sake, is to take the light, him out the limelight a little bit. So take the captaincy away from him get him out of the face of the referees to give him that distance and hopefully it'll die down a little bit and we can get back to you know having the Brad Voth um, that we wanted and he can get back to enjoying the game that he loved to play Um, so I think we we took him and we went for lunch and I think he knew something was coming because it was you know in the middle of all these suspensions and and we mentioned it you know we we said we feel it's the best for him Mm -hmm. Um, and to be fair to him you know, he did not did not say one thing. He just said, "Okay," and you know, he was, and you could tell he was hurting from yeah. it. You know, he was a very proud captain of the club, uh, and you could tell he was really hurt by it. But he didn't argue it. He didn't, you know, get nasty about it. He just said, "Okay, if that's what you got to do, you got to do," and that was it. And you know, he did tell me after that's one of the most hurtful things that's ever happened to him in yeah. his life. Um, was having that captaincy taken off him. You know, he he felt really, really hurt by that. Um, but I mean, I still think it was the right thing to yes. do because you know he wasn't able to enjoy the game. He wasn't able to play the game. He wasn't able to contribute like he could contribute. And I do think it it did the right thing in terms of diffusing the situation a little bit. And then you look at the replacement captain that comes in. It's Mark Richardson, yeah. who's the polar opposite yes. of Brad Voth. You know, but we needed some somebody to calm down the relationship with the referees. You know, we felt that, you know, like I said, it wasn't great. And Richie is a very well-spoken, very diplomatic, very well-respected guy um, who, you know, plays a very clean game. Yeah. So, you know, we wanted there to be a step change from referees, you know, standing, looking up and getting, you know, neck ache from looking at a six foot six giant. Um, to having someone that's a lot more mild mannered and uh, you know and respect to Richie yeah. for actually taking that on because you know how do you follow Brad Roth as a <laughs> captain of the Devils but you know he did it but credit to you G for, for a short term solution it probably worked if I remember that season again I've gone by kits it was the fresh bake season um, <laughs> and we probably played our most consistent hockey of the season after that we got to the Challenge Cup final and lost um, we'd had a bad first leg at home in Cardiff had a good second leg up in Nottingham and couldn't quite get it back and then we got to the playoff final where we, we lost to Belfast but shots. probably that decision Voth got back to playing good hockey the team was more settled um, original Mark Smith came into a bit of form <laughs> um, and, and we had a good finish to, to, to the season so you know a bold decision that, that probably paid off and you say you didn't get angry about it, but tell that yeah. to Stephen Burns. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the poor yeah. old Stingray's defenseman who, I think Absolutely. it was the next game well, after... Well, it was, he meant to fight Matt Miller, and Matt Miller got the tap by Voth and said, no, I'm taking this one. <laughs> it's, uh, I, don't know, I think it's on YouTube somewhere. Yeah, it's it's an absolute demolition. It is. 
Poor Palmerstonians. <laughs> uh, Ryan Finnerty takes the captaincy in the world record mm. breaking season. We've covered that in the archives. Please go and listen to it. If you have not, it is one of our earlier episodes mm-hmm. and uh, it is very good. It is. But Ryan Finnerty maybe at one point seen as someone who would was the antithesis of the devils in the, in the guise of the captaincy of the was he, was he captain Sheffield? No, he wasn't. Was I he an think. A? I think he met possibly an A. He's certainly uh, at the forefront yeah. of the Devil Steelers rivalry. But for me, um, another one who, who epitomizes what a captain should be. Um, but what I will say, ask Franny is. For someone to talk to the officials, Infinity, <laughs> the greatest choice, or uh, well, how does see, that work? I, I put Ryan Infinity in the Vezio Sapatini mm. category okay. of being a master of mind games. Yeah. Um, where you know he goes in and he, he's not going in <clears throat> ranting and raving. He was very clever, very calculated in the way he did it. Um, what what we actually saw of Ryan Finity as a player, we remember how frustrated we used to be playing against him, um, the way he would win penalties on the ice, mm-hmm. that he might, you know, go in and stir the pot a little bit, get a reaction, mm-hmm. and it's always the reaction that's called, yeah. and that's something that we loved about him, and that we felt that was missing from the Devils at that time, because um, we got him mid-season, yeah, we the did. season before. Um, so Any thought to giving him the captaincy ahead of Richie? at that time no I don't think I think he was too new I think he was too new to come in um, and again you know we wanted the polar opposite of, mm-hmm. of Brad Voth um, but yeah I mean Finner was a, quite a controversial bit of recruitment yeah um, G didn't see eye to eye with Finner at all on the ice and it was me that suggested Ryan Finnerty um, and reached out to him actually but then when I did and I mentioned it to G, and I knew that G and him didn't see eye to eye, and I mentioned it to G, and G said straight away, see if he'll come. Yeah. So he knew what he brought as a player, yeah. and he knew what we were missing as a team. I'm guessing he disliked him because he respected him. Well, yeah, yeah. absolutely, <laughs> yeah, because he's that guy on the other team that you dislike, yeah. and when you got him on your team, you love him. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I had heard great things about Finner from Jonna uh, up in Sheffield, um, you know, having talked down probably about him to John and going, oh, Franny, if you were on the team, you'd absolutely love him. He's proper, your kind of guy, you know. Um, and same when I mentioned it to G about what, what do you think about trying to grab Finner back from, because I think he's gone back to North America. Yeah. Been, yeah. Um, so straight away he was like, yeah, you could almost see he didn't want to say yes, but he knew it was the right <laughs> thing. And then they actually got on really well and, and still do, you know. Um, but then, yeah, we had Richie to cool things down. We wanted mo- more leadership um, that we knew Finner yeah. would bring in terms of on ice. And uh, I, I, I think he's a very good captain for us. You both know my feelings on, on Finnerty. I get... I can't put it... Everyone's entitled to their opinion. I, I find it a little hard in Cardiff that he's so um, just—he is criticised. Yeah. Um, and and I can understand. You know, he, he is a little bit of a uh, um, a polarising figure, and he's a strong personality. And and some people like his team, some people 
don't. Some people like his coaching style. I loved him as a player. I liked him as a player in Sheffield. I thought he was great. I thought he was a slightly type of person. Again, um, you need those guys on your team. Uh, you can have all the finesse you want. And he was a skilled hockey player, but you need someone who will um, do the dark arts. Yeah. Uh, and you need somebody who um, will do the dirty parts of the game. And I thought Finity was that. And I would have loved for him to stay in, in, in Cardiff longer. And he's also, he was he's always derided a little bit now not by everybody but but by a lot of the fan base um i think ryan finity deserves to be held in, in in far greater respect particularly when you talk about the fact it was a world record winning team we didn't have a great budget and and you know Gian and franny put together a, a great team we were playing out of the big blue tent um and again we were talking about lines earlier i was talking about lines that finity hill voth line must have been horrible to play yeah. against uh and i yeah i i gotta say i i love ryan finity I just think for me at that time he was a next level player Yes. in that we didn't have a player further down the lines of that quality that could facilitate so many different roles yeah. whether you wanted an agitator whether you wanted someone to go and throw a hit yeah. whether you wanted someone to just be dirty yeah. <laughs> but he, he knew when to do it he knew I remember there was a game that I'm sure it was against Hull that wasn't going so well and he's like, okay, I got this boys. And he goes out and he fights Joseph Sladder. Yeah. Um, and Joseph Sladder was, uh, he used to like do MMA fighting in the summer and stuff like that. And he was six foot five, six foot six. And Finner's, what, five ten? Yeah. Um, but he went out there because he knew that would get the boys going. But I, I think that might have been the only fight that he lost in his Cardiff career yeah. because he's very, he's very a, capable. He's a, he's a very, very guy. capable. Um, knew when to do it as well knew when the team needed a lift uh, and that was the kind of leadership that we needed from Finna you know we talk about punching above our weight budget wise and um, that's that's what we needed to be able to do that was people that would go outside of the comfort zone and uh, and, and do things differently and you know going to the point that you make about him you know polarizing opinions as coach uh, as a coach uh, and people almost enjoying when he doesn't get mm. success. What you've got to remember is, you know, aside from probably the year in Sheffield, but even the year he's in, when yeah. he was in Sheffield, it was probably the lowest budget Sheffield have ever had because they were on the, off yeah. the back of some changes. Um, you know, he's never had a lot to work with really, and he always puts an entertaining team out there, um, one that is going to sustain the business by bringing crowds well, in. The, the conference system worked against him, didn't he? Because everyone was saying, oh, Brayhead, as they were then, have to win this, have yeah. to win that. You look back now with the benefit of hindsight, and Glasgow would probably kill for some of the seasons he, he gave them. Yeah. Whether you like the makeup of the team or not, to, to your point about the business, I think he's doing a great job in Manchester. They're a competitive hockey team. Yeah. We go in there and lose. and, and, and you Well, know. you look at last season, not the one just gone, the one before. Where did they finish? They finished yeah. like second, second in the end. Yeah. Did they win a conference trophy, maybe? Yeah, or, but yeah. they're second place in that league, which, mm -hmm. which is insane. Yeah. You know? And you know, if people think he's had a bad year this year, it's probably where they should be finishing budget-wise yeah. because, you know, they're... You know they are they are having to punch above uh, yeah much bigger budgets. So following on from Ryan Infinity is the man of many assists, Stu McRae. Uh, the uh, infamous Stu chant mm -hmm. was rewarded with a C on his jersey. Copyright Alad Lloyd, yeah, of course, is. he yeah. uh, invented that it chant and all other devil's chants <laughs> from the time that he uh, uh, watched. Yeah. So I just want to. Does he uh, claim the shoes off if you everything? Remember? Yeah. Any chant that was made in the Big Blue Tent yeah. beyond it, it, is copyright. Absolutely. So I don't know, he's a, he's a very uh, rich man. 
rich man and yeah. <laughs> you know that just speaks to his musical talents indeed <laughs> um, yes Stu yeah Stu McRae uh, we've talked about him before uh, at length in the uh, uh, record breaking season famously was uh, mooted as the most selfish player ever by his CHL fan base yeah. but yeah. Uh, turned out to be uh, one of the uh, yeah. uh, most underrated Devils players I think maybe of all time he isn't spoken in the same breath as uh, some of the big guns but for me consistency wise over three years excellent Franny what made him captain material um, again a sort of lead by example kind of guy quietly spoken um, you know maybe again we're moving towards trying to um, pacify some of the uh, the refereeing and, and things like that and he was very well respected a classy guy um, you know he's had some experience in leadership back home I think in his junior team he was a captain you know he's always one of the top players there um, didn't strike you straight away as a leader because he was quite quiet yeah. and almost quite shy in a way um, but would do all the little things right and I think the closest example to McCray is you know I've talked about Moria mm -hmm. and Jake Morissette I think those three yeah. Uh, are very very well linked in terms of the style that uh, that they led with. Uh, he, he, you know, he showed loyalty as well. Just off mic, we were talking about the fact that that was a difficult summer after his first season. You just come off this world record year, and you know, for financial reasons and what have you, you were losing John Pell, you were losing uh, Ryan Finity. Um, you know, there were some other guys we lost. That McCray stayed and um, you know gave the team a, a little bit of hope and he reminded me as a player a little bit of Steve Moria um, great vision good playmaker um, and yeah I think just someone you'd hold in, in complete respect so perhaps not the most um, domineering figure I remember fans around me at the time were, were when we go through a slump it was very easy and it you know, still happens now it's the captain it's the captain you've got to change the captain I remember a lot of people calling for, for Kenton Smith to be captain I'm sure Kenton was a was a great leader but um, I'm not sure why it's the captain and particularly if they're more um, if they're not that rah-rah figure that we talked about maybe they lead in different ways it's, it's very evident that the captain seems to be an easy one to yeah, blame they don't see the things that happen behind the scenes that, that you do if you're you know if you're party to that locker room um, and you know those other bits it's not all about making a big hit it's not all about getting into a fight it's not but um, you know there's other other leadership qualities that you need you know the, the coach needs to be able to trust you mm -hmm. um, for a start and that's something that you could get from from Stu um, so yeah I mean like you say unless a captain is the the type one captain if you like yeah. the Eevee the Voth uh, quite often there's a lot of blame put at the type 2 captain's yes. uh, door um, which is often unwarranted I think so following on from McRae is Mac Faulkner and uh, we're not going to go too into the weeds with this but suffice to say did Mac Faulkner go above and beyond any other captain in Devil's history I, I would say so yeah I mean some of the stuff that he did when he was captain was nothing short of heroic and and yeah go, going above and beyond wow you know yeah. um, there's been stories told of you know guys sleeping on his floor you know he's a married guy and he's mm -hmm. you know looking after people's accommodation 
Um, I know that he was lending people money to, to you know that weren't seeing their paychecks. Um, you know he was looking after them, and that's not something that a captain ever should do. But that's Mac as a guy, you know, a natural leader. Um, whatever Mac does. Uh, he's going to be successful at. I know he's doing really, really well in his, in his job now with a you know, major uh, international company. And it wouldn't surprise me one bit if he is Prime Minister of Canada one day. <laughs> he's just an engaging guy, funny guy. I, it, you know, again, we touched upon him, we can't talk about it too much. I was involved um, that season and it was a horrible, horrible season. He always had good humour. He's a very, very funny guy. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I had the opportunity to speak to him two or three times about things that weren't hockey and he's very very intelligent very engaging um you know you enjoy being in his in his company so i, I suppose at a turbulent time having someone like that um you know must have been crucial for for the devils well i mean fair to say he would have been a devil still in the new regime if it wasn't for a harvard scholarship no, well i mean he was actually the the one that i spoke to first about um, you know, interest in a player coach job before Andrew Lord, and, and you know that wasn't because you know I thought any less of Lord. It was because no. I suppose this natural thing that the captains yeah. become coach. You know that whole kind of uh, thing that we we've had in our club. But um, you know, I stayed very close to Mac during those bad times, and uh, you know, out of respect for what he'd done during those times in in terms of keeping things going um you know i thought he would he'd be a guy that uh would be a natural choice as, as a coach i don't think you know within with hindsight i don't think he would be anywhere near the coach that andrew lord is um and you know i think that mac made the right choice anyway in terms of the direction he went you know a harvard masters and now doing very very well in the in the business world um so yeah i mean it was a it maybe it was a glamorous appointment from my point of view when i was discussing it with him um but the more and more i spoke to lordo i knew that he had the kind of desire to do whatever it took mm -hmm. to make the team successful again my partner is asked to be on this podcast i see it's something i would like to facilitate she get his bum um, on she's very interesting <laughs> yeah um but i think maybe Matt Fulton, I could tell some stories the three of us can't. Well, even, <laughs> even if he could, he'll just make them up anyway. Yeah. <laughs> he loves to make up a story. Entertaining either way. Very much but, so. uh, Matt, if you are listening, we will try and get you on uh, in some guys. Cause, yeah. uh, I mean, it, it was great to see him back for, for Richie's it testimonial. Was. Yes, and it was. it was like the guys that, that came back then, and you know, we're going to go on to talk about Marshy now. Um, but meeting up with those guys, it was like you'd seen them yesterday, and you know they are some of the best guys that uh, that I've had the fortunate to be around, fortune to be around when uh, being involved with the Devils. Absolutely. And Tyson Marsh is next, and Tyson Marsh leads the Devils into the new era mm. and lifts a Challenge Cup trophy, and it's an iconic image. Yeah, Tyson Marsh in the Sheffield Arena yeah, it is. in front of that travelling fan base it is the the beacon of hope that every Devils fan yeah. wanted and you know I dare say when you consider uh, Tyson Marsh's season beforehand and what he mm. did give to the team it is uh, a bit of a, a dusty room when <laughs> you see that, that image over and over again I never tire of it 
Um, and, and it nearly didn't happen because... Yeah. Um, so I, th- I think I've said this before on the podcast. Uh, I always get confused what I've said on here and what I've said <laughs> in our chats on camera. Um, but Tyson Marsh was the only player that got to know about the new era. Yeah. Todd Kalman, Steve King, and and the rest of the Calgary guys uh, before it was actually a done deal. So Tyson. Um, wanted to stay in this country to play and I was actually helping him with uh yeah, Brayhead was it you were yeah, yeah. was looking for, for teams and you know he was almost done in Brayhead and then there was you know a minor hitch over like another pair of skates or whatever whatever it was. <laughs> At the time there was this long shot in the background that, you know, we might get new ownership and all of a sudden that became more and more likely and then just as Tyson was about to sign in uh in Brayhead, um I said to him, Tyson I I don't think you should sign there. And he's like, you kidding? You know, we got this far and everything. I said, I think you should sign in Cardiff. And he's like, no, 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 no. I was like, hear me out. So <laughs> I said, like, I'm, I'm bringing you into the circle of trust now. This is what's going to go. Todd Kalman is coming. He's what? Steve King. And I explained who he was mm-hmm. and Brian Parker and Shostak and then Kelly Hughes. Uh, I explained about those guys and Lordo was going to be the coach. And he was just kind of in disbelief. Yeah. And then I said, we want you to be captain. And we would love you to lead this team into the new era. We think, you know, you're absolutely perfect for it as, you know, being the figurehead of, of this new team. And uh, he's like, well, this has totally like spun my mind. I thought I was all set on, on going to Brayhead. And uh, can I have 24 hours to think about it? So anyway, called him back the next day. And, uh, you know, so what's it to be? And he said... I want to stay in Cardiff, I want to sign, that's brilliant. He goes, but I don't want to be captain. <laughs> and I said, really? I, was, I thought it would be quite a, like an honour yeah. to be captain. And he goes, wow, I, I saw what Falks did last year and I really don't fancy <laughs> doing any of that stuff. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it, uh, and You only had cheese. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I mean, that just shows what Falks did the year before, that he was actually put something, someone off. One of the biggest honours yeah. you can ask is to be a team captain. Um, so, you know, I had to kind of reiterate to him to say, you know, we got Todd Kalman leading this team. You know what Todd Kalman's done in Belfast. You know how he runs his ship. Uh, this is a totally different yeah. beast. Um, you should be that, you know, that part of it. You deserve it. And, uh, and we almost like forced him to try it, if you like. And then obviously when Todd comes in and the owners <laughs> come over and he sees how legit everything is and how well guys get treated then then you know he blossoms in that role as captain and uh, and lifts the trophy i i just love the tyson marsh story in cardiff um with or without the captaincy because i remember when franny and G first signed him and i know we've spoken about this before i thought he was fantastic for for about two months three months and then picked up an injury that yeah. fit and and struggled a little um and again i remember but he was brought back too too soon from injury he was brought back too yeah. soon from injury you know finances and things like that no replacements in those days uh, and I remember seeing, you know, Franny that that summer, and and Franny telling me he was he was the last signing. Um, and I think you and G had taken a little bit of a leap of faith. You'd gone back and forth on whether to to bring him back. That was the the horrible year, for whatever reason. But he won Player of the Year. He was fantastic. So he came back as someone that the fans um, were maybe a little skeptical about. Um, but he he was superb during a very very difficult year. 
at a very surreal Player of the Year awards that year, he sang Ring of Fire by Tony Cat, <laughs> and it's probably one of the best versions. If, if anyone's got a YouTube of that, please watch it. It is great, probably the highlight the whole season. Um, and then, yeah, gets gets the captaincy, albeit a little bit reluctantly. Um, and even the way he went out, it's it's tragic, but I also think it's got a little bit of the hockey code to it when you know Jansen says we've got to go and Marsh realizes he does have to answer the bell and, and, and does and you never like to see a player injured but I think Jansen had a whole lot of respect for him well afterwards we actually told Marshy before the game and I personally went up to Marshy and I said you don't have to take that fight mm. so Jansen we know Jansen's gonna gonna come and ask the question just don't take it just use it let him run around let him get frustrated the distraction will be on Nottingham the whole rink will be anticipating something and just just keep turning him down just frustrate him yeah and then the moment Jansen asks yeah Marshy's gonna whip off um because he just he felt obliged yeah. yeah yeah he felt obliged to do it and he's a he's just a good pro and and Gaz, you and I have had the opportunity to interview him a few times. Again, and, and Franny spoke about it, but maybe not the most vocal guy. Probably equate it to, to interviewing Mark Lewis. Always enjoy interviewing Mark Lewis <laughs> in the sense that doesn't say a lot, but when you get something out of it, it him he's very considered, and, and it's always quite illuminating. Uh, so I always enjoyed interviewing Tyson Marsh because it was a little bit of a challenge because he didn't want to speak about things too much. But when he did speak, he was so considered that when he said something you always walked away feeling like you you picked up some knowledge and absolutely yeah i think i i'm just glad that tyson marsh finished his career on the ice yes on his skates and i think it would have been a a, a totally unfair end for him to have left ice hockey being you know taken out of the motor point not yeah. not under his own steam so i remember i was particularly delighted when towards the end of that season it was known that he was going to come back and I didn't really care no. whether he was up to speed mm-hmm. or not I felt that for what he gave to this club and, and as a you know a player throughout his career he just deserved to end it on yeah. his terms and I, I think that was uh, very special for me to see. Well, was that the longest shift in Devils history in that third place playoff he played about six <laughs> minutes <laughs> yeah <laughs> we wouldn't let him off the ice and um you know the, the Somebody came up with on the bench, and uh, you know it wasn't me. I can't take credit for it, but somebody said we got to get Marsh out there on his own, and I think everybody jumped off the ice or whatever it was, and uh, yeah. you know he got a, a standing ovation from from the crowd, and you know it was going to be his last game, and yeah. you know what a way to go out. It just shows the respect that you know around the league that he had, and you know as a as a player, as a captain, you know if you had a, a game for all your marbles, he's definitely a guy yeah. I'd want on my side. Absolutely. And we end with what I believe is the most successful Devils captain of uh, all that we've spoken about. And John, maybe I you'll... think it is now. If you probably take out Southern Cups and all those sort of things in terms of you can in conferences. Uh, yeah, I know. I, I think I think probably it'd be interesting to see with Heavy. I have to, and, and maybe Finney could help with this. But if you're probably talking um, major trophies, major trophies, I'd suggest that yeah, Morris two Southern Cups, Cups, two playoffs, two league titles. Yeah. It's it's quite a, a role of honour. Um, and you think of the names we've gone through yeah. in this list of great players. Yeah. And right now, as we're speaking, this is the era in which mm-hmm. that was our thing, most successful captain. Yeah. yeah. And I think it was very much a surprise choice um, to, to the, the fan base. Um, 
I remember talking to, to Lordo about captains and you know sometimes I mean, we haven't really talked about this but sometimes captains are chosen from within the dressing room and it goes to a vote yeah and you know your winner gets the captains mm-hmm. and the you know the next few down get the assistant captains um, but some coaches like to have their lieutenant on the ice and we talked about that with mm-hmm. Ed Patterson having G and then G having uh, like a Dion Darling yeah. out there or, 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 or Votha mm-hmm. out on the ice um, but uh, you know Lorda was really when we I think in the first season in the warm-up games and maybe even for the first few league games we yeah, rotated the captaincy yeah. so you know um, Carl, got it. Martin yeah. got it Carl Hudson wore it uh, and there was a, a number of people yeah. that, that wore the uh, wore the letter and then um, it you know it was chosen mm-hmm. by Lordo mm-hmm. Jake Morissette and when he even mentioned him as one of the captains that was going to trial it if you like in the, the challenge games I was quite surprised mm-hmm. because he's you know he was especially early on he was quite a well, a very quietly spoken man, um, and I just thought, how is that going to translate into a captaincy? And Lordo was saying, but you just watch him and get to know him more as the player, and his, the details that he's got, the work rate he puts in, mm-hmm. what he brings to practice every single day of the week is consistent from game one to game 70 or 80 or whatever we play these days. Um, and he said, that's what I want my captain to be. I want us to be the hardest working team in the league, the you know a disciplined yeah. team, a team that is most focused on all the, the very small percentages that make all the differences. And if you look at a guy that's going to epitomise that, it's Jake Morissette. Yeah. And you know it's a good argument, and <laughs> you got to say that he, you know Jake has actually you know absolutely backed that up every step of the way. And he's probably a good balance to to, to Lord. I know. I think Todd has said this a few times. You know, Lordo is is a visible leader. He's a very, very strong intense, personality. Yeah. He's intense. You probably don't need a mirror image of that as your captain. Um, I'm not saying Jake isn't intense. You can see the way he penalty kills and, and, and block shots, but he's he's intense in a in a different way. And and maybe again, it's that quiet leadership. And that's probably been a very, very nice balance for the Devils having Lordo as that visible emotional presence. Uh, and yeah, Morissette to be the counterbalance to that. And I think Todd has said it before that. If Lauder wasn't player coach at the time, he'd be a captain, wouldn't yeah. he? Because he is that visible leader, like you just said. Um, but obviously, when you're coach, then you can't be captain, uh, and you know you need to have that balance. And you know, and he absolutely gives that. Um, and you know, the like, I think blocking shots, that that oh, kind of leadership yeah. that he shows in that. Uh, and one of the things I mentioned right at the start of this podcast is about having the respect of the room. The most important thing about captain, you know, whether you're the type one or the type two captain, um, is having the respect of the room. And everybody loves Mo. Yeah. Every single person in that room loves Mo, respects him, you know, sees that work rate, mm-hmm. sees what he does in practice every day, sees what he brings to games. You know, he's himself all the time and, you know, he's got that respect. Yeah. He commands that respect. You know, he might not be the rah-rah type, but when he does speak, everybody is listening. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's been absolutely great to see him rewarded with the captaincy and to lift all those trophies. Absolutely. And I think for me, what, what has epitomised his captaincy has been the times over the last few years where scoring has dried up on yeah. the top two lines. And then for a run of five, six, seven games, 
Jake Morris that will pop up with big game-winning goals. Mm-hmm. Well, and he's been, the, he's been the troubleshooter as well, hasn't he? Has he? I mean, people were pointing out that his point production has come mm-hmm. down. I mean, it was the surprise line in, in the first year of the new year, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, we didn't even have Joey Martin down to be our first-line centre. <laughs> Lordo, I had said to him early doors that, look, one thing I want you to set your expectations on is your point production mm-hmm. is going to lower because you've got the burden of coaching and stuff like that, and you know, you're probably going to drop down the lineup. Um, so I think it was meant to be Culligan, Haddad yeah. and Walton uh, and for whatever reason we ended up with that, that line of three together Martin and, and Lord and Morissette yeah. and it just clicked and it was the best line in the league by far and it was you know, and it was for, for a number of years Yeah. Uh, and then as we grew as a club and as we got more successful and as we attracted better players um, you know that line got sort of broken up and you know, there was times, like you say, when things weren't firing, and the the default answer every single time was to put Joey, um, yeah. sorry, Jake Morissette on that line, and it would become a better line overnight. Uh, like good. literally, that he'd be on there, he would bring people with him, yeah. and that line would start producing, and then he would go off onto another line, another line. So he was bouncing around. So maybe his production was yeah. going down, but the other line's production was going up, and the net effect for the team. And that's one thing that sums up Jake Morissette as a team player. I think I think troubleshooter is is a great term, guys. That, that so many, you know, you've got to work hard to earn Andrew Lord's respect, and you can tell how much Andrew Lord um, respects and rates Jake Morissette. And the number of times, again, in interviews, he said that if a line is in a slump, he will go to Jake Morissette to to get that line going again. And as Franny said there, I think it's just selfless because if you're not building up. You know chemistry all the time with guys uh maybe your own performances is, is going to suffer but uh i, I don't think it could be underestimated the role that jake morissette has played in this new era well what a fantastic place to end and it's been a fascinating journey through the captains of the car devils again we've gone on marathon run but worth every minute and second of content and uh thank you very much as well to everyone on Twitter who joined in, you can find us at, at BTB Franny. Tell us what you think about our assessment of these captains. As I mentioned today, Ivan Tulik got so yeah. much love. Mm-hmm. Um, Unanimous, hands down, favourite uh, captain. Yeah. He was a man, but everyone I think on our list got a mention uh, at some point. So, uh, you know, we've done a, a good deep dive. And we got Kipper, Kipper coming in now to the fore, saying <laughs> that uh, having witnessed what Falks had to put up with ownership-wise and the additional responsibilities he undertook for his fellow players, he puts him right up there. Hard to argue. If Kipper says it, it's... What I will end on is we've covered all sorts of news, but the other bit of news, I've just seen him like a few tweets. Uh, Max Beerbrier announced his retirement. Yes. Um, another person who has been so important to Devil's history and I know that we all know Matt uh, a little bit personally as well and what a great guy to have laid you know his roots down in Cardiff as well and uh, excellent career and uh, all the best to him in his retirement and hope to see him around the rink a lot now yeah Yeah, definitely I mean Maxi is again like an Ivan you know that dynamite guy in the dressing room Um, you know he's a lot of fun to be around (laughs) but then when he steps onto that ice Mm -hmm. You know, he snaps straight into game mode, and you know the amount of the probably the best open ice hitter. I'd um, say probably the best open ice hitter I've seen. But that's Joey Tarbert. Yeah, and then also as a top line player for so long, 
he made everyone that played on that top line better, whether it was Mark Smith first time around, whether it was Jason Silverthorne, De Chatelet, yeah. whoever it was. Um, you know, Max gave them room. Very, very talented player. And, you know, he, he's, what a great career he's had. You know, he's, uh, he's prolonged it for you know, a long, long time. He's been playing hockey a long yeah. time now and, you know, still playing to a hell of a standard. And it's, it's always good when a guy goes out on his terms. So he's moving on now. Um, you know, into uh, health and safety, I believe. Yeah, health and safety. So, from uh, being a health and safety risk on the ice yeah. to <laughs> most of his opponents, uh, he's now poacher tin gamekeeper. <laughs> Keep your head up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, gentlemen, this has been excellent. I think our next episode, I think we've decided maybe we're going to do a deep dive in the old Sheffield rivalry. In maybe the off season, I think it's wise before the bullets start flying again <laughs> in the uh, in the season because you, you know. So I guess we'll do a first part of the early days, and we'll do some research and see what we can come some up. Some iconic moments have been a lot down the years. Just rely on John to pull them out from the, uh, <laughs> the memory bank. Yeah, absolutely. I can't remember my wife's birthday, but yeah. Jella, thank you so much. I've been uh, Gareth Hewish, and this has been the captain's episode of Behind the Bench with Neil Francis. Thank you very much, Neil. Thank you. And thank you very much, John. Thank you, guys. Bring on Ross Bonanza. <laughs> Here it is.